Welcome to the Life Self Mastery Podcast, where we bring in entrepreneurs who have created online businesses and improved their lifestyles. Here's your host, Rohit Malhotra. Hi, everyone. This is Rohit from Life Self Mastery. I'm excited to have Adam Olit. Uh, Olin Nijak, uh, who's a founder of Buffalo Market, he was born and raised in uh, Lesno, Poland, and was educated in masters in finance from the University of Amsterdam. After a short episode of working at University of Amsterdam, uh, he worked in in a local uh, startup. Uh, and uh, prior to uh, Buffalo Market, Adam was the founder of Rideon. Uh, welcome to the show, Adam. Thanks a lot. Yeah, so Adam, you know, uh, you you were in Poland and now you were in Palo Alto, US. How did that journey happen, and how did you get into this crazy world of startups? Uh, I mean, I was I was born and raised in Poland. You know, I got uh, I did my high school there, my bachelor's, and then I always wanted to travel. My my parents didn't have that much uh, that much luck as I did. You know, they were just born wrong times and. They were always very curious for the world and they would take me anywhere they could when I was a kid. So I was very curious to explore the world and, and you know, try living in different places and do different things. Um, so as soon as I had a chance, I moved out from Poland, first to Amsterdam, got my master's in finance there, um, got a job at the university. Um, I thought I wanted to, to get PhD in corporate finance or something corporate finance related. And after a couple of months, I just decided that's perhaps not the best time in my life to do that. But, you know, you can always go back to teaching and uh, and, and to academia. I thought I want to go out and, and be in the actual business. Um, I met this super charismatic guy, Louis, who was starting his advertising company in Amsterdam, and I joined him. Um, you know, we for a couple of years, we've been building uh, that company, expanded it from Amsterdam also to Dubai, did some business in Germany, in France. Um, it just wouldn't really scale beyond uh, the success that we had in Amsterdam. So at some point I left that company. I moved to San Francisco, started Rideon, uh, which was a ride-sharing concept that, that was really targeted for hotel concierges. Just as this very interesting niche uh, that wasn't covered by the existing ride-share companies. Um, so, you know, launched it in 2019, had some initial success, some fast growth at the beginning. Uh, and then COVID hit. And as as the bands, you know, early 2020, um, USA started banning flights from, from more and more countries. Uh, we started losing all of the customers because we didn't have any local customer base. Everybody was a tourist who was, uh, who was, uh, who was using our service. Um, and then I started Buffalo Market just when the COVID was starting. Oh, I think I think that is very interesting. I, I had no idea that you know you had moved on from right on to Buffalo Market during COVID. I think hats off to your uh, tenacity and your ability to to create a, a new market in, in in such difficult times. But uh, but what were your learnings when you were building right on? Uh, since you know uh, you were in a totally different market to Buffalo Market, which we're going to talk about later. Well, the core business is very similar. With Rydon, we're moving people from hotels to the airport, from uh, from the airport to the hotels, all around the city to conferences and stuff. And and with Buffalo Market, uh, we're moving uh, groceries and uh, and and food items, and we deliver to restaurants, to grocery stores, um, to to some consumers. Although our consumer side of things is getting smaller and smaller, um, intentionally. <laughs> but uh, but in general, I got I got this deep understanding of logistics. And, uh, you know, 
so regulations, um, a lot of regulations behind uh, behind uh, goods transportation is similar to, to to people transportation in California. Um, so I felt like I was pretty well positioned to 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 go into this business. And we had technology that we've built for dispatching rides, um, you know, for our limo drivers. Then we we just switched it to 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 to, to optimizing routes for groceries. Got it. And uh, you know, let's let's talk about uh, Buffalo Market. You know, uh, what what made you uh, start Buffalo Market, and what is the core problem that Buffalo Market is solving? Mm-hmm. Well, so initially, my thesis was. Uh, I mean, I still I still believe that you know, ten years from now, the retail stores are going to lose most of their business to to to, to online entities, and. Initially, when I was starting Buffalo Market, I thought that I would be able to challenge the, the existing models with like, you know, apps shopping from grocery stores or delivering from local uh, local locations and being super quick. I thought that the key to really win this market was a centralized approach uh, where you'll be basically able to, you know, have operate one giga warehouse and be able to deliver, you know, in, in a very large radius uh, to, to consumers. Um, it happened to it happened to be more challenging than I thought, especially because of uh, the sourcing that that was that was just super difficult. Um, so when I when I started Buffalo Market, I rented my first warehouse. Well, when when I started, I was just buying groceries from Whole Foods and Walmart and delivering around Palo Alto in my car. Uh, but then um, I was lucky enough to get uh, one of my first customers was Elizabeth Inn from Hustle Fund, and uh, she invested uh, she invested her first check, and with her money I actually rented the first warehouse, um, hired the first employee, and decided that we'll be sourcing from food distributors instead of grocery stores. This way we'll be able to to have more space for a margin, and uh, and and we'll be able to you know have more control over um, over the whole supply chain. Um, what I didn't know is that the Food distribution market is just so difficult. Took me like about two months to even open the first account, and all those food distributors are companies that make 20, 50 billion dollars a year, and they pretty much based on pen and paper. And even their online side of things, uh, it's not really the kind of online you'd you, you'd expect from you know a 50 billion dollar company. Um, so it was just so difficult to source items from food distributors. And then I started contacting the producer directly. Uh, getting amazing prices compared to what distributors were charging. With some distributors, I would I would get like you know 20, 30 percent discount from the from the retail price, and then I would source I would source some items from directly from the from the producers, and the producer was happy because they charged me more than they were charging their distributors, and uh, and I would get their products cheaper. Um, and at some point, our prices became so low that we started seeing grocery stores and restaurants just buying off our website. And we started getting those really big orders, you know, someone buying like 500 pounds of groceries and like, who is this person? <laughs> so I would always ask a driver, let me know who it was. And then, then they deliver and say, oh, that was a local grocery store in Oakland. And that was, that was super interesting to see. Um, so more and more, we started investing in the B2B side of things and, uh, and eventually decided that we're going to go into that direction where, you know, we basically really use technology to enable um, supply chain for uh, for for you know bunch of restaurants, smaller convenience stores, and 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 entities alike. Very interesting. And, um, you know, you, uh, the couple of things you talked about. One is uh, how, how did you 
uh, convince Elizabeth uh, from a hostile fund to uh, to invest? Uh, was was it their thesis, or did you have a prior relationship with her when you were trying to raise funds? No, she was a customer. <laughs> and <laughs> interesting thing, she said that she she passed on many on many grocery delivery farm to table concepts, but but she really liked my concept of kind of streamlining it and centralization. Uh, so you know, everybody on the market. Everybody on the market is sort of crazy about the speed of delivery, yeah. And it's very difficult to do. I mean, if you want, if you want to offer a fifteen-minute delivery, you have to, you have like your serviceable area becomes very small. Um, so what I've started noticing is that because I was offering next-day delivery, we could offer a huge radius. I mean, at some point we started delivering to pretty much all of California from our one single location, um, and what and what that did is. That just dropped our cost of customer acquisition to like almost zero. I mean, we're probably like seven seven uh, x uh, lower uh, cost of customer acquisition than than the competition, and that's what uh, I, I think. That's one of the things that that got uh, that got Hustle Fund pretty interested. Interesting, you pointed out about that because you know uh, I spent a lot of time in India and uh, and there's a company called uh, Milk Basket uh, in India which would service uh, customers uh, and and deliver only during a certain time, like uh, from seven uh, a.m. to nine nine a.m. in the morning, and uh, and you know they were able to to scale up much faster than other delivery uh, companies. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's a, that's a very interesting point you, uh, you made. And you know, if I may ask, what, what is what is the cost of acquisition, and how do, how do you acquire customers? Because when you look at organic products, uh, are you are you catering to an audience which is which is very niche and who looking for premium products, or uh, you know, how do you identify your customer? I'm talking about your end customer uh, in in this case. Well, so you know, our business is changing rapidly, and 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 a couple of months ago, we were just delivering purely to to consumers, and that was a completely different story. We we're just using Facebook marketing, and you know, it costs us about twenty dollars to acquire a new customer on Facebook. Um, it changed a little bit now because now over ninety percent of our business is 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 really B two B. Um, so it's a totally different different case. We work with specialty stores, with you know organic grocers that uh, that that want to that want to that want to be selling those premium items. Um, we work with uh, with some high end restaurants that you know really care about sourcing and the quality of their products. And uh, um, so so we are really focused on the on the quality. But now the customer acquisition just became so much different since you know most of our customers are restaurants and grocery stores. Right, and and uh, if you're not using paid channels, what distribution channels are you using to cater to this B two B market? Um, I mean, in terms of in in terms of working with those uh, with those companies, you know, we have our own fleet, and uh, and uh, you know, not sure, not sure what you mean by by distributing to them. Yeah, uh, no. Uh, how do you, how do you acquire customers if you if you're not using, uh, especially when it comes to B two B B two B customers? Uh, yeah. Uh, right, right, right. Now almost everything is based on referrals. So what's happening is, uh, uh, I have. Um, let, let let me just give you an example. I had this uh, I had this person in Los Angeles who wanted to carry those uh, those those really premium nice mushrooms that we have. Um, so you know, I reached out to I reached out to the to the to the supplier. It was like, okay, I have this restaurant. They want they want high volume. We we'll need to ramp up the, the the orders that we're getting. The supplier was so happy. We started serving the restaurant, 
the restaurant was happy. They love the, they love those mushrooms. Next thing happens is the producer is calling me, be like, "Hey, I have another restaurant that called me directly, and they would like to, they, they would like to start buying from, uh, buying from me, but I cannot deliver to Los Angeles. Can you do it for me?" I'm like, "Yes, sure." We started delivering to the second restaurant. That restaurant then started also ordering milk from us and butter and and flour and so and and bunch of other stuff, and then referring the other people. So we get referrals from both sides of the market. Vendors, vendors from from who we purchase. Uh, they're getting a lot of direct inquiries, and in most cases, their business is producing food, not distributing it. So, if it makes sense for them, they pass those customers to us, and uh, and you know we acquire a lot of customers for those referrals. And also on the on the restaurant side of things, uh, you have to understand, especially with smaller restaurants, a lot of them buy from actual grocery stores. Some uh, some restaurants uh, will be buying half of their things from uh, from Instacart. And the other half, they would go to Costco, Restaurant Depot, one of those, you know, business-oriented uh, grocery stores, but they're still, still grocery stores. And we offer competitive pricing. We have uh, we have some programs with, with very long payment terms, and uh, and uh, and we offer free delivery five days a week. So it's really a no-brainer for a lot of restaurants to start buying from us. Very interesting, and uh, you know, uh, I I read that a uh, lot of the food. Uh, when it is being distributed to the end customer, uh, goes to waste. Um, you know why? Uh, you know just for just for listeners uh, who uh, may not know about uh, you know what what entails into distribution. Why why do you think so much food goes to waste? I think it's close to forty percent. So think about tomatoes. Uh, think about uh, seeing this beautiful pile of tomatoes in a grocery store. Yeah. Um, Tomatoes, especially when you talk about organic produce, it's a bit different. Conventional, you know, they use they use so much chemicals and 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 genetically modified foods that you know the story is a bit different. But especially organic, um, you really have to provide perfect storage conditions for for your products, um, especially if it comes to vegetables and fruits, um, to to extend the to extend the shelf life and 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 minimize waste. So tomatoes. Um, to store tomatoes for an extended period of time, they have to be in a dark, very humid room with a lot of airflow and temperature about 50 to 55 Fahrenheit degrees. Um, so I think, you know, 8, 10 Celsius degrees. If you would think about a grocery store that's dark, humid, uh, windy, and, uh, and, uh, and the, the temperature is, you know, <laughs> 50 Fahrenheit degrees, uh, that's not really the conditions that, that the grocery store uh, <laughs> could operate in. Um, so... You know, since we don't have any storefront, uh, the way that the way the way that we store all the products are really optimized for them. We have we have separate room for each kind of each kind of vegetables, so we don't keep our our bell peppers close to our tomatoes. Uh, we keep perfect storage conditions in those refrigerated, humidity control, wind flow controlled rooms, um, and that 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 really allows us to extend shelf life of all the products. Mailman is a email assistant that shields you from unimportant emails minimizing instructions and making your days calmer and more productive you can visit mailmanhq.com and use the code lsm uh, which gives you the benefit of 15 percent off for the first year on the annual plan uh, which already has 20 percent discounted compared to the monthly plan so you can visit mailmanhq.com and use the code lsm i spoke to uh, an in an Indian investor and oh, how, how it happens in India is we, uh, we don't have an organized way of uh, uh, making sure that farmers are able to reach out to uh, to the end customer. And, uh, yeah, you know, there, there's a lot of debate uh, because of the new farm bill, which is which has gone in India. But, you know, what do you think 
uh, hasn't changed in the US agri-tech space uh, or do you, what do you think might change in the US agri-tech space in the future? I mean, I I really believe that the, the the market is going towards buying more and more of groceries online. I think, you know, what we've seen on the on the on the commodities market, you know, um, people buying shoes, clothes online, something that you wouldn't think about 10 years ago. Uh, I, st- I still never bought shoes online, but I know a lot of people do. Uh, I think I think the, the the same trend is going to be happening in food, and it's already happening in food. If I think about you know the food market ten years from now, um, I think we'll see something very similar to what we see on apps like DoorDash and Uber Eats right now, which is basically you know you have hundreds of local restaurants that can deliver you all kinds of foods. Uh, I think the same is going to happen on the grocery market, where basically you will have a bunch of very small retailers who are set only to be selling online. Uh, and, uh, and, uh, you know, they can provide much more information to the customers and, and much more background on the product. I think one of the issues is when you walk into a grocery store, you see a tomato, the only thing about it, you know, maybe, you know, what you see on this small price tag, uh, country of origin. And that's, that's all you know about this tomato. Uh, when you're selling groceries online, um, you can expect the, you know, whoever you're buying it from to have much more information available, some product descriptions, maybe some pictures from the farm, information about where, where the product is coming from. Uh, you can expect that that service will have customer support that will be knowledgeable about the product. And I think that's a huge change that's, uh, that's going to happen in the next couple of years where customers will get access to much more information about the product. And that's a part of what we're working on. Um, when we when we when we sell, let's say you have your local convenience store, and maybe you know you're already setting yourself up to sell your groceries online. Um, when you're buying from us, you, we re, we deliver you like all kinds of information about the product, FAQs in case of your customer support is being asked uh, questions about the product, um, and you know we 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 educate you how to store those items, and that's and that's something that that traditional traditionally wasn't present in the in the in the food market. Got it. And, uh, yeah, you know, uh, do you, do you think, uh, because of new, uh, products that which just come up in the market, like Centritech meat, uh, and a lot of other, other new, uh, agri-tech, uh, technology, uh, do you think, uh, there'll be less pressure on farms and farmlands going ahead? And a lot of this, uh, uh, agriculture products will be, uh, will be organic, but but a lot of could also be synthetic. Uh, for example, you know, uh, we'll be seeing a lot of interest in plant-based uh, burgers, uh, synthetic uh, meat burgers. Well, what, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so, you know, <laughs> one of the questions I, li- I like asking people is, and I know you're in UK, so maybe it's different for you, but uh, but here in the USA is when have you seen the, a new candy bar or a new kind of soda drink at a gas station? Uh and the answer is probably you know <laughs> I don't remember a new candy bar at a gas station, uh, and and the reason for that is that you know a lot of market is reset in a way that they've been working for years, and uh, you know a lot of a lot of smaller purchasers still use their notebooks and just uh, in order to reorder from the same supplier what they've been buying for years. Um, I think that this new online uh, you know online wave of uh, of, uh, of of doing business is really bringing a lot of innovation. We see a lot of great companies that that are just coming to the market. Uh, we work with some amazing new founders who just who just uh, founded their consumer packaged goods companies, trying to get them to retailers, trying to get them to the market. Uh, I think that's going to be a huge change, um, where you know you just get access to all those products because there are 
there are millions and millions of food of amazing food companies that uh, that, that you'll never even see at a grocery store um, and I think I think you know with all these D2C models and, and delivery apps etc uh, they will they will start becoming much more visible and it's a part of our mission we really want to discover great companies uh, and and present people with amazing products interesting and uh, you know you've been looking into uh, into expanding to new markets uh, what is the framework when you look at expansion plans into into new markets well so we are for the next couple of years we are super focused on california just because for a couple of reasons california is an enormous market i mean food service and and, and groceries is almost 200 billion dollar market a year so you know uh, we have we have a lot of growing here and as in any kind of logistics uh, business, you need to have good density to 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 have reasonable you know uh, reasonable amount of cost. Um, so we really focus on expanding in this California market. Um, and as we as we grow forward, we'll still use California as our main hub because eighty percent of uh, of all the produce in the United States is grown in California. It's just you know a huge huge farmland. Uh, you know most people overseas think about California. You know Hollywood, Los Angeles, San Francisco, but most of California is just farmlands and farmlands and you know <laughs> thousands of miles of farmlands. Um, so uh, so we really want to you know keep our California focus, and then when we'll be expanding, uh, you know we'll we'll probably look at new markets in a similar way that uh, that that we've been growing here, opening one one warehouse. Um, let's say somewhere halfway from even Chicago and New York to be able to service those both markets from the same from the same location. Got it. And um, you, you know, you've you've recently raised a raised a, a seed round. Uh, uh, you know, what what are you looking uh, when you investing into into new markets, and what is what is the money to be used for? Well, so we're really developing our business here in California. Um, you know, we we are, we are lucky to to be in good cash position. Um, the way that business operates, and you know, a lot of a lot of our customers are just starting, so they paying with credit cards. Um, so our, our cash situation is pretty good. Um, we raise this money, you know, to be to be more comfortable also as a validation. Usually, you know, when you have when you have an amazing investor entering into your company that sort of validates market, especially uh, validates your company, especially for bigger customers. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, we're investing in our team. We're investing in our technology. Uh, we've built, we are building, uh, we are building a self-serve platform where basically these new vendors that we discussed before, you know, new entrants to the market, let's say your aunt who just started making her pasta sauce. Uh, you know, we want to build a marketplace in which she would be actually able to reach to the customers and to the business customers, I mean, because that's 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 the easiest way to, to grow a company. And on the on the customer side, if you're starting a restaurant, I want you to just you know go to my website, register, and the same day you are able to place an order. Um, so we're building a lot of infrastructure behind that. Got it. And uh, you know, uh, uh, for for a founder, I think uh, uh, they usually have. Uh, uh, three three jobs. One is uh, hiring, which is their number one priority. Uh, making sure there's always cash in the bank and and the vision for the entire team. Uh, what have been your biggest lessons when you're looking at acquiring uh, you know the best talent in market since you since you're growing so fast? Uh, you know you know what works in acquiring the best uh, talent for your company. Yeah, so I mean, having amazing investors on board is something that helps us really a lot. You know. 
a lot of people, a lot of a lot of very good people we, who we're trying to hire ask us for your investors and you know having this very strong lineup of uh, of of pretty much the, the best names in the industry is really helpful. Um, on top of that, uh, on I mean just fast growing company, you know, people look at the numbers. We've been growing since we started. We've been growing on average thirty eight percent every single month. So everybody is excited about it, and you know, especially especially here in uh, here in Silicon Valley, people people really understand what can happen if you if you join early a company that's growing this fast. Um, so you know, we didn't have a lot of challenges recruiting. I'm I'm so blessed to have this amazing strong team that's that's just doing fantastic work, and uh, I just feel like everybody's smarter than me, <laughs> which I think is exactly what I want. <laughs> no, absolutely, I loved it when you. Saying that uh, you know people are smarter than you because that that's what you want. You want uh, some really high quality A A players uh, in in your team. And uh, uh, you know uh, what what mistakes uh, do people make uh, when they when they scale up uh, startups? Uh, since you in in a in a in a hyper growth uh, stage, uh, uh, I know it's been just uh, less than a year for you. But uh, did you did you find any mistakes people make when they are trying to scale up too fast? Uh, and since you since you have already identified that you will be servicing uh, the California market for now, uh, but uh, what what are the mistakes usually people make? Today I have an interesting stat for you to denote that the founder of Beautiful Lives increased the social media presence by 10x. They managed to publish consistently and effortlessly using a robust social media management tool called Social Pilot. Social Pilot is a cost-effective social media tool that helps businesses scale their social media marketing efforts. Use lifestylemastery.com slash socialpilot to get a 14-day free trial. I don't, I don't feel like... I'm the, I'm 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 really positioned to talk about other people's mistakes. You know, <laughs> I know a lot of great founders. Some of them succeeded. Some of them did not. Um, I think I think what what is making us successful from the very beginning is that we just keep trying new things. But uh, doesn't matter how much work we invested in something, if it's not working, we just say okay, forget about it. We move over to the next thing. Um, which is which is very difficult for a lot of founders to do. I've seen, you know, a lot of a lot of my friends having amazing companies who got just so stubborn on one of their ideas because they're like, no, this idea is so good, it has to work. The market is saying something else. You know, your idea is really not working out, uh, and you don't want to move forward and and just forget about it. And that's been something that we've been doing very well. Um, you know. Okay, we spent two weeks working on a new project, and everybody put a lot of effort and heart into that. And we see that nobody wants this feature, or nobody wants to, nobody wants to buy into whatever we just built. Just, just forget about it. Cut off our losses. I think, I think that's very important to stay nimble and uh, and uh, and you know, um, I think not being able to do that is uh, is a big danger when you're running a startup. Right, and um, for you know, I want to talk about uh, since you since you uh, had an inflection point uh, during COVID, and you were able to uh, to take it from zero to one, and also raise uh, you know uh, funds for for your company. Uh, what advice would you give to founders who are looking at raising funds uh, over Zoom uh, during COVID times? I actually, I actually loved it. I mean, it was so much easier. You know, I raised money for my previous company in the companies in the past. It wasn't as much money as we did raise this time. Um, but in general, you know, I feel like a year ago, 
if I was trying to meet with a VC and they would say, oh, let's do it over Zoom, I would always feel like, oh, they don't think, you know, I'm worth their time or whatever. And that was always <laughs> a negative feeling. And this is just amazing. I mean, I was able without traveling anywhere. I was able to meet with people down in Southern California and Northern California, some investors on the East Coast, some investors in Europe, um, in the Middle East. And, you know, we were able to to talk with uh, with people all across the world within, you know, just a couple, couple of short days. And at the beginning, it was a bit stressful, you know, not being able to see, to see people reactions in the way that, that you normally see them and, uh, you know, but I feel like everybody's getting so used to it now. I, I actually, I actually, I actually love Zoom. <laughs> I, I used, I used to always feel like, oh, that's that's something you do if you know if someone doesn't have time for you. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, yeah. but I take it as something super positive now. And and in general, you know, I mean, as long as long as you have stable internet connection, you know, I yeah. highly recommend an Ethernet cable. That uh, that helped me with my meetings a lot. You know, <laughs> a good microphone, a good camera. Just try to try to look okay and uh, and uh, actually find it so much easier to do it over Zoom than in person. Very interesting and uh, uh, you know uh, uh, during COVID, a lot of startups have now become remote. Uh, do you think startups need to be in the Silicon Valley or Palo Alto, some of these places where uh, investors are going to be, or uh, because you know catering you're catering to the California market? Uh, do you think uh, Buffalo market needs to? be in a, in a specific play, place or uh, you got to be in, in California and work from there? I mean, our customers are in California. I, I, I do think that Silicon Valley is losing importance now in, in, in terms of a geographic location. I, I just see so many people moving out and, you know, I would walk around with my dog and I see just a bunch of trucks, people moving, moving out and every second building, every second house has, uh, you know, for lease uh, sign in front of it or for sale. Um, I, I do think it's very difficult to raise money in Europe. Uh, you know, I've been there, I had an Amsterdam based company and just the level of risk taking of European investors versus American investors and the amount of capital available. Um, I mean, you, you just can't compare it. Um, so I, I do think it's so much easier to be in the United States. I feel like you have to have Silicon Valley based network. To be able to to be able to really succeed, uh, but it doesn't. You, you you don't have to live here anymore. It used to be like that. You know, you're meeting you're meeting all the investors and all other founders on uh, on the events, and you see them in the grocery store, and uh, you know. Uh, but now during COVID, I don't think it matters. I think the best thing you could do is get uh, is 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 get uh, you know even a small pre-seed stage investor who's really well based. In Silicon Valley, and not not even in the sense of a location, but who just has a powerful network over here. And if you do the right things, they will be able to introduce you to everybody. Um, so I don't think you really have to be physically here. Interesting. And uh, you know, um, Adam, you you have a passion for motorcycles. Uh, did you get the get a chance to ride motorcycles during <laughs> during the last one year or so? Yeah, I mean that's that's one thing that you know <laughs> that COVID didn't take from us. <laughs> I so I so love tennis. I play a lot of tennis, but uh, for a couple of months, for a couple of months, uh, uh, all the courts were closed. Um, you know, so I mean, riding a motorcycle. We I'm, I'm lucky just here by Palo Alto. There's this be beautiful Santa Cruz mountains and uh, a lot of a lot of really amazing places to take your bike to for a spin. You know, on a, on a, on a Sunday afternoon. So <laughs> that's always something that helps me refresh my mind. 
Interesting. And, uh, and I just want to quickly do the top three. Uh, what's your favorite business book? Um, my favorite business book? Mm, I would certainly say Blitzscaling by Chris Yech and, and Reid Hoffman. I'm actually lucky Chris has been my friend and a mentor for a very long time. And I learned so much about him. I think that a big part of our success really, um, is, uh, is really thanks to Chris and everything I learned from him. So for people who are not as lucky to have such a great mentor, I think their book like really, really can be like a Bible for building a startup. Absolutely. I think I love that book. Uh, we'll put that in the show notes. And, uh, you know, Adam, if you could go back in time when you started uh, your startup journey or uh, when you started Buffalo Market, what is the one thing you've done differently uh, or, you know, uh, worked on it uh, in, 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 a, in a different way? Uh -huh. <laughs> That's a difficult question. I mean, I, I, just, I just, just, just like I said before, our whole journey has been trying things, failing, and or you know maybe not failing well we we didn't we didn't really have any big failures but uh everything has been quite successful so far but we've been trying things seeing what works what doesn't work pivoting very quickly and i actually think that this is what got us so far in such such short period of time being able to you know like really take very limited uh, input from the market and be like okay that doesn't work that's not going to work let's go back let's let's try a different model um, so I, I think I actually did this work in, you know, trying and trying over and over and over with all different models and starting from, from everything where we source our products from, what products we source, how much of, you know, what's our product mix, how do we deliver, uh, what's our minimum delivery, um, you know, minimum order for delivery, what kind of customers are we going after, all those things we've been just constantly pivoting over and over and over. Got it. And uh, do, you, do you have any favorite online tools, example, Gmail, Slack, Zoom? Uh, I, <laughs> yeah. I'm actually not that great with Slack. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm using, I'm using a bunch. I really like Superhuman. Um, help me, help me really streamline my work in terms of like you know all the emails I'm receiving. Uh, I'm a big fan. Uh, funny thing, you live in Europe. You're, you're, you're used to really good. Uh, really amazing banking services in the usa yeah. that doesn't really look that great so i'm <laughs> I, i'm really i'm really happy imat from from mercury bank was one of my yeah. investors and i'm using mercury bank well it just made my life so much easier i mean moving from europe where the banking services is so amazing and it's just so normal for me i just go online and do whatever i need online uh, when I first moved to Silicon Valley, I actually had to go to a bank and fill handwritten forms and the whole process is just so crazy. Um, so I think what Mercury Bank is doing is amazing and they're definitely saving me a couple hours a week of standing in lines at the bank. Oh, that's really interesting. I had no idea that, you know, uh, the, the fintech space wasn't that evolved uh, in the US, but... Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I, I have I have a bunch of paper checkbooks and uh, I don't think that's... And anywhere close to secure when, you know, you can just write your name and whatever amount on it. And, uh, you know, for the signature, you'll be able to cash it and actually walk out of a bank with cash. It's just, it's just a strange system and online wires, all this stuff, it doesn't work as great in the USA as, uh, as, uh, as back in Europe. So uh, Mercury Bank is really solving those problems for me. Got it. And um, I hope, you know, somebody listens to, uh, to the interview and solves the, 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 the you know, the fintech problem there in, there in US. Um, yeah, and Adam, what, what are the best way people can reach out to you and know more, more about a Buffalo market? Sorry? Yeah. What if people want to reach out to us? Yeah. 
uh, you know, always LinkedIn is a great way. Um, or info at buffalomarket.com. Um, yeah, info info is connected to my mailbox, my co-founder's mailbox, and a couple other senior people at the company. So, uh, you know, if you send email to info at Buffalo Market, you can be sure that uh, that that someone senior will see it. We'll put that uh, in the in the show notes. Uh, thank you, thank you so much for taking our time and speaking to me. Uh, I really enjoyed my conversation with you. Thanks a lot. That was really fun. Thanks for listening to the Life Self Mastery Podcast, where we teach you how to start and grow your online business. For more information, visit Rohit's blog at www.lifeselfmastery.com.